History Talks. I'm your host, Michelle Qureshi. This is the To Kill a Mockingbird daily podcast for Tuesday, April 30th. Today we will be discussing the important and controversial topic known as gender roles. What are traditional gender roles and how have they made an impact on the modern world? Before we start, let's go over a brief summary of To Kill a Mockingbird for those of you who haven't yet read the book. Scout Finch lives with her brother, Jem, and their widowed father, Atticus, in the town of Maycomb. Maycomb is suffering through the Great Depression, but Atticus is a lawyer and the Finch family is reasonably well off in comparison to the rest of society. One summer, Jem and Scout meet a boy named Dill who has come to live in their neighborhood for the summer, and the trio acts out stories together. Eventually, Dill becomes fascinated with the spooky house on their street called the Radley Place. The house is owned by Nathan Radley, whose brother Arthur, nicknamed Boo, has lived there for years without coming outside. She and Jim find gifts apparently left for them in the knothole of a tree on the Radley property. Dill returns the following summer, and he, Scout, and Jem begin to act out the story of Boo Radley. On Dill's last night in Maycomb for the summer, they sneak out onto the Radley property, where Nathan Radley shoots at them. Jem loses his pants in the escape, and when he returns for them, he finds them mended and hung over the fence. The next winter, Jem and Scout find more presents in the tree, presumably left by the mysterious Boo. Nathan Radley eventually plugs the knothole with cement. Shortly thereafter, a fire breaks out in another neighbor's house, and during the fire, someone slips a blanket on Scout's shoulders as she watches the blaze. Convinced that Boo did it, Jem tells Atticus about the mended pants and the presents. To the distress of his racist white community, Atticus agrees to defend a black man named Tom Robinson, who has been accused of raping a white woman. Tom Robinson's trial begins, and when the accused man is placed in a local jail, a mob gathers to lynch him. Atticus faces the mob down before the trial. Jem and Scout, who have sneaked out of the house, soon join him. At the trial itself, the children sit in the colored balcony with the town's black citizens. Atticus provides clear evidence that the accusers, Mayela Ewell and her father, Bob, are lying. In fact, Mayela propositioned Tom Robinson, was caught by her father, and then accused Tom of rape to cover her shame and guilt. Atticus provides impressive evidence that the marks on Mayela's face are from wounds that her father inflicted. Yet, despite the significant evidence pointing to Tom's innocent, the all-white jury convicts him. The innocent Tom later tries to escape from prison and is shot to death. In the aftermath of the trial, Jem's faith in justice is badly shaken. Despite the verdict, Bob Ewell feels like feels that Atticus and the judge have made a fool out of him and he vows revenge. He menaces Tom Robinson's widow and tries to break into the judge's house and and finally attacks Jem and Scout as they walk home from a Halloween party. Boo Radley intervenes, however, saving the children and stabbing Ewell fatally during the struggle. Boo carries the wounded Jem back to Atticus's house. After sitting with Scout for a while, Boo disappears once more into the Radley house. Later, Scout feels as if she can finally imagine what life is like for Boo. He has become a human being to her at last. With this realization, Scout embraces her father's advice to practice sympathy and understanding and and demonstrates that her experiences with hatred and prejudice will not sully her faith in human goodness. Our first topic of the day is traditional gender roles. About 100 years ago, women were expected to be primarily occupied with the work of the home, raising children, cooking meals, cleaning, and helping with the family garden or farm. Men, on the other hand, worked outside the home, often for a a wage and for an employer. 
Men were often in charge of making major decisions for the family, and in fact, women in the United States did not receive the right to vote until the passage of the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution in 1920. Traditionally, women were expected to stay at home and take care of household chores, while men worked outside the home and got to make major decisions. Women were seen as weak and unable to make those decisions. We can see this in To Kill a Mockingbird as Scout starts to experience more gender prejudice as she grows older. Her brother no longer wanted to play with her and starts to see her as weak since he, she was a girl. Additionally, Scout was expected to act in a ladylike manner and was forced to wear dresses when she started to go to school. Now we can move on to gender roles present in the workforce. Over the past few decades, Americans have made great strides in accepting and adjusting to the new definition of gender roles. Part of the cause is the increased number of women in the workplace. According to the Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics, as of 2004, white men who once dominated who once dominated the workforce now account for about 44% of all workers, while white women and women of color make up the other 46%. With the increased presence of women in the workplace, old attitudes and behaviors have had to change. Men and women are more aware of sexual harassment than previously, where 25 years ago women who were a woman who refused to have an affair with her boss may have to had to quit. She now has other options. Gender roles are imposed from without through a variety of social influences. Formed during the socialization phases of childhood and adolescence, gender roles issues um, influence people throughout their lives. Conflict can arise when someone does not feel at ease with his or her gender role. Gender roles in the workplace have started to become more equal, however, they are not totally equal. The standard annual wage gap measured by the Census Bureau shows that women make 80 cents for every dollar earned by a man. In spite of many organizations that have worked to decrease the gender wage gap, there has been little change in the past decade or so. Even with these gender roles, racism is very prevalent. The crisis of the Civil War absorbed women's rights for advocates, or absorbed women's rights advocates, but in its wake, they grappled with the related questions of rights for former slaves and rights for women of all races. Some activists refused to support the 15th Amendment because it granted vo voting rights to former male slaves but neglected to extend such rights to women. The controversy drove a wedge between former allies, some forming the National Women's Suffrage Association and others forming the American Women's Suffrage Association. In 1819, the groups overcame their animosity and merged to form the National American Women's Suffrage Association. Most chapters of the National American Women's Suffrage Association included women of color and African American women founded their own organizations to work for suffrage and social reform, reforms. Um, African American reformers Ida B. Wells and Mary Church Terrell analyzed the effects not only of gender but also of race and class on women's subordination. Wells' essays on lynching published in the 1890s, investigated Southern racialized gender politics, showing how lynching not only terrorized the entire black community, but perpetuated ideals of white female chastity that kept white women subordinated to their supposed male protectors. Such nuance analyze, analyzes of the interactions of gender, class, and race were rare in mainstream women's rights organizations, which focused on the experiences of white women. Women of color are still less privileged than that of white women. In fact, there is still a noticeable wage gap 
between the income of women of color, white women, and men. This brings us to the feminist movement. There are three waves of feminism. The first wave in America started in 1848 with the Seneca Falls Convention, the first sustained organized activity aimed at improving women's position grew out of the anti-slavery and abolitionist movements. Movement leaders such as Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, Sojourner Truth, and Sarah and Angelina Grimke were active abolitionists who used arguments and organizational structures developed by the abolitionist movement. Women who have met at the 1840 World Anti-Slavery Convention in London organized the Seneca Falls Convention of 1848 held in upstate New York, one of the first gatherings dedicated to discussing women's rights. The convention adopted a statement, the Declaration of Sentiments declaring that all women and men are declared equal, and a deliberate echo of the American Declaration of Independence. The second wave of feminism had at least two roots. One came from within established politics. Eleanor Roosevelt pressured John S. Kennedy in 1960 to appoint a commission on the status of women, and this body, along with state task forces, documented severe legal restrictions on women. The, commissioners, the commission's findings, along with the state task forces, documented the commissioners. Sorry, the commissioners' finding inspired the creation of the National Organization of Women in 1966 and other female organizations. Another source of the resurgence of organized feminism was the civil rights movement. College-age women participating in this movement espouse both equal rights and liberation from social oppression, and they applied those perspectives to all women's positions, as well as to discrimination and subordination based on race. Civil rights activists also learned strategies that would make them more effective politically. In the 1990s, feminism in the United States entered a period often called the third wave. The distinction between the second and third wave feminism is partly generational and partly ideological. Some young women born in the 1960s and 70s, many of them daughters of the second wave activists, saw themselves as initiating a distinct phase of the feminism movement that responded to new ways of thinking about genders and the unique political challenges of the post-Cold War era. No rigid divide about gender and the unique no rigid divide separates these waves. However, for example, where as third wave scholars are committed to giving the diversity of women's experiences a more thorough analysis than their predecessors, they often draw on concepts of such as intersectionality that were developed by previous generations. Third wave feminists espoused a new interpretive and ideological frameworks, including postmodernism, multiculturalism, critical race theory, radical democratic theory, and neocolonial theory. The feminist movement is still a critical yet controversial part of American life. It calls for equality between genders and empowerment for women. Thanks for sticking with me on this podcast, guys. I hope you all learned something about the feminist movement and gender roles in To Kill a Mockingbird. Subscribe, Subscribe to History Talks, and remember, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Bye.